The Ambitious Radio Network. Conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Are you an entrepreneur, startup junkie, or just someone interested in improving their leadership skills? If you're looking to be motivated, inspired, and uncover what it takes to get to the next level, listening to Ambitious Radio will be well worth the investment of your time. We have weekly engaging conversations with today's most influential thought leaders and entrepreneurs as they discuss their successes, failures, tipping points, and other priceless information that you can apply immediately after listening. Now, here's your host, Doug Parker. All right, welcome back to Ambitious Radio. This is your host, Doug Parker, and it's hard to believe, but we're on episode 69. We've had so many great leaders, and today is no exception. We're going to be visiting today with Elliot Wagenheim, and Elliot is a speaker, strategist, attorney, author, and educator who works with clients to embrace rather than inhibit innovation. Recognized as one of the nation's premier small business attorneys, Elliot helps entrepreneurs and organizational leaders fulfill their highest and best visions. Elliot, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Doug. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. You know, I always uh, enjoy these shows, and, and the technology that we use today is so great. We had a little a little technical difficulty in the beginning, but uh, but I love, you know, kind of getting guys on that and, and ladies on that are making it happen, and, and absolutely, you are out there just knocking out of the park, doing all kinds of cool stuff, but what did I miss in the intro? Tell me a little bit about yourself personally and, and who you are. Well, um, the boring part is that I've been a business attorney for 30 years, and I sound really old when I say that, but I don't feel really old. Um, and one of the reasons I don't feel really old is because I think you'd get old if you were doing the same thing every single day for 30 years. But what I really work on, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, is just reinventing, sculpting, moving in new directions, and making sure there are new challenges out there. Uh, so I don't feel like I've been doing it for 30 years because whatever I'm doing now, I haven't been. Um, and on the personal side, I'm um, married to a, a wonderful and wonderfully patient and tolerant woman um, who's a- exceptionally intelligent, but her only um, questionable decision was saying yes some <laughs> uh, 20 years ago. Um, and uh, I have two boys, 14 and 17. And so, um, like many of your listeners, I'm sure I... Um, Rather than relaxing on some yacht off the coast of Italy, knowing I have everything taken care of, I'm uh, trying to figure out and make sure that I can pay for college tuition for my uh, current high school senior next year. Well, so, I, uh, so that's about it in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Uh, be prepared. I went through what you're going through. I've got a, a son that's uh, that's 21 and a daughter that's that's uh, 19. Actually, she just turned 20. And so uh, a couple months out of the year, they're, they're 21 months apart. So a couple of the year, uh, times out of the year, they're, they're only um, uh, one year apart. But anyway, um, we're going through that right now. I've got one kid going to college, and it's about 170 grand to do a five-year master's program that she's doing. And uh, so it's, it is crazy. And uh, anyway, you, know, you, you, you feel uh, the pain already. I can, I can hear it in your voice coming there. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of one of the reasons why you keep grinding, obviously. You, know, you talked about 30 years of, of doing some attorney work, but doing different things. And you know, let, let's kind of yep. dig in just a little bit. I mean, obviously, as an attorney, um, I always like to you know ask people kind of what is it that they're really really good at. And I've had experiences with attorneys over the years, and and 
in some you know uh, areas people will frown upon attorneys and in other ways it's you know they're there to kind of help protect you and then as an entrepreneur sometimes it feels like they're inhibiting your ability to make something happen and i noticed in your um you know in in your intro there it was you know it's kind of talking about um, embrace rather than inhibit innovation. But can you just uh, maybe elaborate a little bit on that? Because that can be a, um, a frustrating situation. But then if you don't get attorneys you know, involved in helping, then you could really have some exposure that uh, can be really bad as well. Yeah, well, I guess it goes back to uh, when I graduated from law school, my sister had given me a coffee mug. And the coffee mug said, I'm a business attorney. I keep exciting things from happening. And uh, I have always kept that mug to remind me of what it is I'm not supposed to do. You see, I've, I've done all of the normal attorney things. So, you know, I've, I've helped people collect money they're owed. I've presented them in lawsuits. I've written up employment contracts and stockholders agreements and formed companies. But that's not and, – and I can do that stuff, and I'm good at it. But that's not the primary value I think a good attorney brings or a good uh, mentor brings. I, my favorite six words from a client, uh, if I had to narrow it down, would be, um, can I bounce this off of you or let me bounce this off of you? I think that's six words. Um, and I have clients that call um, really to talk about some things that are, are related to being a lawyer, but they call me because I'm an entrepreneur who just happens to be a lawyer. And so I understand risk management. I can I can look at things from that point of view, keeping people safe, keeping a company safe, making sure that they're making the right decisions. But you don't want to, you don't want the law to run the business. You just want to make sure that you can further the, the goals of the business and the goals of the founder and not, you know, and keep them off the rocks. So too often, Doug, and you know this, legal is where good ideas go to die. Mm. And that's the opposite of what you want to accomplish. You know, that's, that's powerful. Legal is where good ideas go to die. And, you know, to elaborate a little bit, so so a lot of our listeners, you know, they, they very well may be people that are they're brand new entrepreneurs or, uh, or I'll say this, a wantrepreneur. They want to be one. They're not quite there yet, but they're, they're, they're right. wanting to jump off the ledge and, and jump into it. And, you know, attorneys, when they're in the traditional roles that I have experienced them in, you know, like you say, hey, I want to do this. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. Okay, I want to do this. No, you can't do that. I want to I do this. No, you can't do that. And it's like, goodness gracious, you know, and what they're doing is they're trying to prevent you from having any exposure whatsoever, right? And then as a business right. person, you got to look at it and weigh, okay, what's the what's the exposure, you know, compared to the upside? Is there true exposure, you know, and, and those kinds of things. And, you know, that that uh, that, that favorite uh, six words you said, you know, can I bounce this off of you? You know, that is um, a, a great thing for anybody to do. Now, the, uh, the reality is, though, is, you know, when you're talking to an attorney, you know, it costs a little bit of money to to bounce an idea off of them typically. And um, but, you know, if you don't, it can be so expensive. I, I, I haven't talked about this in a while on the show, but I had an issue back about eight years ago. And in and, and principle, I thought I was right. And um, it was to do with the federal government. And the state law said one thing. And I just I was like, no, I'm not going to settle it. I'm not I'm not doing anything wrong. And I mean, just fought like crazy. Well, in hindsight, I'd have done it a lot differently. I mean, I spent eight hundred grand on attorney's fees. All in all, between Oof. all the efforts, what I had to do, it was it was about one point five to one point eight million dollars of real cash. 
Mm. And it was to prove a point. And then ultimately, I didn't prove my point anyway. Um, but, you know, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, here's the thing. You know, I think there's an old gypsy curse where you wish on your worst enemy a lawsuit in which they're completely in the right. Mm. You know, mm. because even if you're right, as you just illustrated so painfully, um, it's going to cost you often more than it's worth in terms of your time, in terms of your money, in terms of your emotional energy, in terms of your opportunity cost of what you could otherwise be doing. It's a painful process. Mm. You know, but, but here's the thing, Doug. There are, there are five, all businesses risk, and there are five and only five things that you can do with risk. You can accept it. You can increase it. You can eliminate it. You can reduce it or you can transfer it. Well, no one wants to accept it where they, where they can. You know, they want to do something with it. Nobody wants to increase it. And if you're in business, you can't eliminate it. So you're left with two things. You're left with reduce, and you're left with transfer. Transfer, for example, is why God made insurance companies. But it's also, you know, if you and I are getting into a contract and there's this possibility come up on the horizon, my goal would be to, to transfer as much of the risk of that happening onto you, and your goal might be to transfer it as much onto me, or maybe there's a third party or an insurance company. But too many lawyers look at the equation, just like you said, of, well, you can't do this because my goal is to eliminate risk. And what that, that means is they don't understand what it's like to be in business, because if you're in business, you, you're going to assume some risk. There's no reward without a degree of risk. And so if you're, getting, if you're getting legal advice based upon um, an absolute, complete, and total elimination of risk, then you might as well just go back to bed because you're not going to do anything exciting. You know, that's, that's powerful. And, and when we talk about those folks that are either brand-new entrepreneurs or people that are wanting to get out there and be an entrepreneur, you know, so many people, they don't like to quote-unquote work for the man or have to go to work, you know, 9 to 5 or whatever – but what they don't have on the other side of it is is that risk. And not just everybody can handle risk. I mean, there's some people that it stresses them out, just you know, just the complication. Mm-hmm. And you talked about um, like the emotional cost of, you know, when you have attorneys involved and all those kind of things. And so you l- l- repeat again real quick. So the five um, types of risk that was accept it, increase it, eliminate you it, can... reduce it, and transfer it? Correct. Okay. Okay. So that's that. That's I've not heard that explained that way before, but that makes a, a whole lot of sense. Now, um, we've just got a, maybe a couple minutes left in this segment, and can, can you talk about you know maybe giving an example of that of risk of how you you've I mean obviously you got insurance and you talk about maybe transferring that, but can you give us a real example of that? Well, I'll, let me give you maybe this will answer your question because it's something you said. Uh, when you were talking about your experience, and you said, hey, you know, I, I get that bouncing something off your attorney is going to cost something, but maybe it's worth it. Well, I decided in my business, running a law firm, that I do my best work with an open line of communication to my clients. And I realized my business model of charging by the hour, um, where I ding people $20 or $50 every time they want to call me, runs counter to open lines of communication. People just don't want to call you know, if they know they're going to get dinged. So I created a program called the Empty Hourglass Program. And people were, the theory is that the sand never falls. So people will pay me an extremely low amount per month. And then it's unlimited phone calls, unlimited emails, that sort of thing. 
Well, when I spoke to folks at the Bar Association and some of my peers about this, you know, they said, no, man, don't do it. You're going to lose your shirt. You're going to have people calling you all hours of the day. And, and, you know, they would have paid you a couple hundred dollars on the first of the month, and they're going to take up hours of your time. They're just, it's, it's too big a risk. Don't do it. But I thought, you know, yes, there is a risk that people would abuse it. But I, I thought that it's not a profit. It's not a profit center. It's a communications tool. And if people did take advantage of it, I'd be able to keep my finger on the pulse of their business. They'd be able to see me as a resource throughout their company. And then when something big came along, they know who I am. I'm not some guy whose name they forgot because they used him a year and a half ago and they just haven't kept up with because they call me all the time because there's this open line of communication. So I did it in spite of the risks. And I, I did that, um, started it in 2010. So it's been seven years and it's, it's worked out perfectly. But if I listen to the people who told me to make a decision based solely on the risk, the worst case scenario, I never would have done something that, that has wound up being one of the joys of my professional life. You know, and, and that's a that's another one of those kind of entrepreneurial moves. And, and every once in a while, you'll see an attorney that has that entrepreneurial spirit, that risk-taking spirit. And, you know, and you went to attorneys in a little different uh, environment and asked them, you know, for their opinion on something. And they're like, no, don't do it. But it worked out great for you. And, and it's uh, outside the box. And, and I, I concur with that. I mean, I have attorneys and I've got a great relationship with them. I, I truly do. But I'm I'm very careful about calling them because I just don't want the, t- you know, the ticker to get ticking all the time. And it's just. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it, so I, I like your model. I think that's a, that's a pretty interesting dynamic. I, you know, maybe more attorneys will, will start doing some of that. So, um, with that being said, you know, we'll wrap up here on this segment. And then after a brief word from our sponsors, we'll be talking more to Elliot about his career pursuits and his experience of becoming an ambitious entrepreneur right here on the ambitious radio network. Hey, ambitious listeners, you hear us interviewing entrepreneurs all the time, and there's a common theme. They want to be more productive and improve their communication. As an ambitious entrepreneur, you're always on the go. So turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. The Ambitious Radio Network recently partnered with Grasshopper to offer our listeners a special discount. Log on to ambitiousradio.com and click on the Grasshopper banner in the bottom right-hand corner. Get a new business number or keep your current one. Sound professional with a main greeting and multiple extensions that forwards callers to your mobile phone or others in your organization. Get a toll-free free number or local number for your business with multiple extensions. Set up each extension with custom call forwarding to any phone in the world. Get your voicemails emailed to you as an audio attachment or transcribe an email. Keep business calls separate from your personal calls. Plans start at $12 a month with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Remember to click on the Grasshopper banner at ambitiousradio.com for a special discount for our listeners. Join the over 150,000 small business owners that have stayed connected with Grasshopper. See how Grasshopper works? It's the entrepreneur's phone system. Turn the world into your office. Right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and this is your host, Doug Parker, and today we've got Elliot Wagenheim with us, and he's got all kinds of great stuff, a different model of being an attorney, which I love, uh, and you explained that, was it the Empty Hourglass? The Empty Hourglass program, yeah. Okay. We call that EHP, but yes. 
EHP. Well, I, I like that. It's something different. And I think you, you know, it helps that open communication like you were talking about. And, you know, most of the time when you're calling an attorney, it's, it's, it's either when you're planning to do something, you need some forms filed or there's a problem. And if there could be an interim somewhere between those two things to keep you from getting in trouble. Uh, and I think you might have nailed it there. That's, that's really great. So let, let's talk about a little bit about, um, obviously you talked about how you monetize your business with, with that particular program as an attorney, but then let's talk about what else you're doing. Cause I know you do some consulting. I know you're a, a published author. So, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. How did you get into writing books and, and those types of things? You know, the thing is that I've always liked to write. I've, uh, I've just enjoyed it from back in school and I always considered myself a good writer. And I know there are people out there they consider themselves a good speaker or a good artist or really great at stand-up comedy or whatever it is. But I realized that I, I just, there came a time when I realized I considered myself a good writer, but I wasn't writing. And I had read this book by Stephen King, and you know Stephen King, the author of horror and all that stuff. But he also wrote this book called On Writing. And it was just, it was a nonfiction book about the craft of writing. And one of the things Stephen King said in there is the blindingly obvious statement that still struck me like a broadside, which was, if if you're a writer, then write. And I was sitting there saying, yeah, I consider myself a writer, and I haven't written a thing in years. So I started writing a a blog, and I started... um, went from there. I got comments on the blog. I found out what what people thought was interesting or what they wanted more of. And I wrote, um, I wrote a book and I actually, um, to tell you the truth, I wrote my first book even before the internet and before blogs way back in 1996. And that was just in response to clients, um, needing help on filing small claims. And I realized that they'd wind up paying me more than the claim was worth decided to write a self-help guide and um and that sold out three printings and then statewide the court system asked me if they could publish it for for the constituents who came in and uh, you know for the public who came in and wanted to know how to do it so i'd i'd written but when i wrote the blog i started getting interaction with with the people you know the people i considered my people entrepreneurs and innovators and entrepreneurs and business people and and they'd say, yeah, I want to know more about this, or can you answer this question? And so it started propelling itself forward. And um, I uh, recently uh, launched a, a four-volume ebook series called Fire Aim Ready, which deals with management and contracts, partnership, and uh, people, HR, and, and addresses how I would like my clients and how I counsel my clients to deal with some of the most difficult problems and most common problems that they handle on a day-to-day basis. So that's kind of what I've been working on and, and what my current project is. Gotcha. And the name of that book again is Ready. No, it's, I keep saying that because that's what comes naturally to me. It's Fire Aim Ready, right? Right. It's Fire Aim Ready. And the reason I called it that, it's Fire Aim Ready Management. It's on Amazon. And the reason I called it that is because it's a, a start-at-the-end approach. And I can give you an example of that if you want. I yeah, just please. don't want to. Uh, okay. So – Let's let's take the example of somebody calls up and says, hey, I want to sign this contract. What do you think of this contract? And I can look through it. I can see what the legal terms are, but it doesn't tell me what I need to know. I'd ask them the two questions. The first question is, 
tell me why, if you sign this contract, you'd call me in six months asking me to get you the heck out of the contract. Tell me a story. What, what, tell me a story of why you'd be so upset that you signed this thing. And so then when we get into that conversation, I'll say, well, you know, we can't deliver unless the other side does this, that, and the other thing. Or if this happens, then it's going to knock us totally off kilter. Or our bid is based completely on this assumption, but if that doesn't come through, we're in a world of hurt. And so I say, okay, now that you've told me those stories, now I can look at the contract and see the risks that I want to try and minimize or transfer. You know, that, that if that's a worst-case scenario and you're dependent upon the other side, then let's transfer that risk to him. If he doesn't come through, you're off the hook, and, and he's got to deal with the ramifications of that. So that helps me. If I start at the end, if I try and look into the future of that nightmare call from my client, get me the heck out of this contract, and we tell the stories together, then I can write the contract to make sure that the protections he needs are built in. So that's the first question. Second question, also looking deep in that crystal ball, is tell me why, tell me what, what it would take after you signed this contract to look back six months later and say, you know, signing this contract was the best decision I made in my professional career. And then they tell me a story. Oh, well, if everything went as planned and I could put it on my website and I'd get this glowing testimonial and I could say, I worked with ABC company and we did this or whatever it happens to be, you know, we got recruits or we can put it on social media or they did this. So great. Did you ever share that your best case scenario? You ever talk through your fantasy outcome, your hit it out of the ballpark outcome with the other side? If the answer is no, let's have that conversation. Let's find out what theirs is. So a contract doesn't just have to be protecting you against the worst case scenario. Maybe it's an opportunity for a discussion on how to find the best case scenario. So that's why I start with the end in mind. You look at a contract. I can do the same thing with hiring and recruiting and, and management and partnership. But you, you look towards the end, war game, or, or you know, uh, figure out the storytelling around those two outcomes, and then you go back and reverse engineer to make the outcomes you want inevitable and protect against the outcomes you don't want. That makes perfect sense, and you know the I know from me, and so when I'm pointing a finger at uh, at entrepreneurs out there, I promise you I'm pointing three of them back at me. Um, sometimes you know we we want to just start firing, and 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 then we'll aim a little later, and then get ready after that. And when you start with the end yeah. in mind, it, it can save you a lot of heartache and just processing through a little bit more. Now, the reality is what makes us great at what we do as entrepreneurs is the fact that we're dreaming and visualizing stuff that's not possible and uh, making it happen mm-hmm. and going against the odds. <laughs> you know, so it's it's like this juxtaposition that you can get in. But, um, you know, during your entrepreneurial walk, can you, can you talk about an obstacle that you might have run into that uh, was unforeseen and, and, and how you kind of persevered through that? Well, um, there have been, geez, there have been quite a few of them, but, um, you know, one of them that, that comes to mind, and this was one of my, my earliest, um, experiences was I was trying to pay my expenses in college. And, um, now this goes way back cause I'm old. I told you that. So I started out selling cassette tapes on the quad at, uh, at my college. So, you know, these blank cassette tapes from Maxell, TK, DASF, et cetera. And um, I was selling them 
one at a time. I mean, hard to make a lot of money selling them one at a time. And I didn't have much profit margin, and I realized that I could go direct to the manufacturer. I could get a great price break, and this would really help me. And I kept calling manufacturer after manufacturer. And they wouldn't sell to me. And they wouldn't sell to me because I couldn't promise them any kind of volume. I mean, I was just a college kid. I was on the quad, and I was, I, I can't reach that kind of volume for them. And, um, and this kind of stymied me for a while until I had this idea. I said, well, you know, I bet that the small stereo stores in and around, uh, I went to Duke, so in and around Durham, North Carolina, I bet the small stereo stores um, don't have the kind of volume either on these cassette tapes. So what if I go around to them and I promise them manufacturer pricing and keep in mind, I couldn't get manufacturer pricing, <laughs> but I just promised them manufacturer pricing, asked them if they would buy from me if I could get this pricing. And they did. And so what I wound up doing was putting together a buying group, a buyer's group of six stores. They didn't know they were in the buyer's group, but six stores because I got enough commitments between the six of them to get the volume so I could go direct to the manufacturer. And it just, it just took me a while to realize that if I don't have the resources, because I didn't, I didn't have the resources to, to buy in that kind of volume. If I don't have the resources yet to just kind of think, you know, not, not think about constraints on, well, I guess maybe if I sell 25 hours a day or 28 hours a day, I could get that volume. Um, but just kind of think, okay, well, where can the volume come from? Maybe we can, do it another way. Maybe we can go through the side door somewhere. And so that was my first experience, really putting it together and finding another way to do it that uh, that made complete sense and was easy for me. You know, I just, as an entrepreneur, I love, the great thing about America is you can just find anything. And yours, it was as simple as cassette tapes. And you ran into an obstacle, and then you tried to, you know, overcome that by going direct, and that didn't work. But hey, you just they, here's the next obstacle, and you had to go out and put things together, and you know, kind of put Humpty Dumpty together again after they 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 broke it and told you it wasn't going to work until you got it put together. And you know that those are great stories. And, you know, those of you that want to be entrepreneurs, I mean, the reality is, guys, you just got to go out there. Zig Ziglar used to say this, you know, you can just go through the phone book and find anything that somebody's doing and just do it better than them and give great service. And you'll be able to make a living doing that. And so it sounds like you kind of created something out of the blue there. And then ultimately, um, as you mentioned, you're an attorney. You've been doing that for quite a while and have helped others do the same thing. So it's great to have someone, you know, like that on uh, on the team, you know, helping you progress through. And so anyway, after another brief word from our sponsors, we'll be right back with Elliot Wagenheim. And he can tell us more about really his career pursuits and what's next for him. How does he go through making those decisions right here on the Ambitious Radio Network? Another repairmycreditnow.com story. It's a day this family had dreamed of for quite some time. They were finally getting that brand new SUV. The salesperson at the auto dealership gave them the keys and told them to take it for the weekend. He'd prepared the documents and called them Monday morning. The kids had already installed the headrest DVD when the phone rang. Seems there was a problem with their credit they were unaware of. They'd have to return the SUV to the dealership immediately. Embarrassing to say the least. www.repairmycreditnow.com Hello, this is Doug Parker with repairmycreditnow.com. Do you have less than perfect credit, a repo, maybe some late payments, a collection account? Are they being reported accurately? 
Studies show that over 70% of Americans have inaccuracies on their credit reports. Where do you fit in? Go to RepairMyCreditNow.com for your free credit report evaluation. And remember, your credit is your future. If you want to get started now, log on now. RepairMyCreditNow.com RepairMyCreditNow.com www.RepairMyCreditNow.com All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and today we've got Elliot Wagenheim with us, and this gentleman's done it all. He's an educator, he's an author, he's an attorney. Uh, he really is, just just makes it happen. That's just really how, how it is. So um, welcome back to the show, sir. You doing all right? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Well, cool. Well, you know, we had talked a little bit about your book, and we always kind of like to get different recommendations on, on books and different things that people like, and I'd like to squeeze that in real quick if we could. Um, you know, t- tell me what's maybe one or two of your favorite books that you recommend to folks in addition to your own. Well, the uh, there are two books that come to mind immediately when you say that, although, as you know, there's a world of great books out there. Um, one is Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Uh, Essentialism, it's, I think the subtitle is The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And what, what Greg McEwen really urges is to, to really focus on, you know, the, the things that you want to do, that you love to do, that you're good at, that you, um, the pursuits from which you think you bring the most to the world and most of the market you want to serve, and then focus on them and stop accepting clients and assignments and customers and projects that are outside of that. So you have a disciplined approach to doing less. Don't try to do be all things to all people. But instead, if you focus on those things you've identified as your priorities, you'll get better at them. You'll be known for greater service. You'll get more of the people you consider to be great customers or great um, clients of yours. And you can really move forward in the direction you want, as opposed to kind of growing like a weed in any which direction happens to come in. Yep. So, uh, um, the second book is um, called Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port. Um, and one of the things that Book Yourself Solid teaches, now he was trying to book himself solid in terms of ideal customers for his consulting business and for his speaking business, but one of the things that he talks about that, that I think cuts across industries is what he calls the velvet rope policy. And if you think about a velvet rope, you know, you got all these people trying to get into the club and there's this velvet rope and it keeps out people, but they'll let in, you know, there's a big guy at the door that's going to let in the people who are on the list or the people who meet a certain profile, whatever they want their club to be. And he urges businesses, any business, to adopt a a red velvet rope policy to keep out people, even if they have their, their money in hand or they're waving their checkbooks at you to keep out people except for those you've identified as being your best customers, those that bring you joy, those who allow you to do your best work, those who will spread the word and become your evangelists, um, those who allow you to bring your greatest contribution out to the world. Let those people in and then have a big guy at the door that keeps everybody else out um, so you don't accept the clients that that you don't want. And I'll tell you, Throughout my career, I have never once, ever, ever regretted not taking on a client. But I have regretted on a couple of occasions bringing on somebody when I knew it was the wrong decision. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all done that. It's it's some of those people, and it's crazy, you know, the people a lot of times that just 
beat you down to whatever. You know, they are the most yeah. unhappy people you've ever dealt with. And then some of the people that you make the most money on, they're the happiest. You're, you're the happiest to deal with them. It's crazy how that dynamic works. And, and you know, you get in a client. And the worst thing, you know, I feel like you can say is when you get, you're working for somebody or working with them, and you in your mind, whether you verbalize it or not, you, you say, no, nah, I didn't charge them enough money. And because, because you know, you think that for enough money, you'd be willing to put up with them. Most of the time, it don't matter how much money you charge them. You don't even want to work with them, even if, no matter what. And so, uh, That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, you think a certain amount of money could justify it, but really you just don't want to work with them. So it's, it's getting your business in a position to where you're not uh, selling out of desperation, if you will, and, and, and forcing yourself to, to deal with people that you'd rather not deal with. So, you know, as you talk about your career and over the years, and obviously you had that kind of entrepreneurial uh, experience with the selling tapes as as a younger man, and 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 then you know became an attorney. But can you tell me about the the thought making process and how you transitioned between deciding what to do next and and you know I know you said you're an educator, but is your is the primary bulk of your revenue or your income is it generated from the attorney piece or is it from other projects that you're working on or combination? Well, the primary. Uh, you know, what keeps the lights on, what pays my mortgage, uh, my primary source of revenue is from practicing law. But, you know, I decided that, you know, I've read all these books and I've heard all these people talk about, no, what you need to do is you, if you're dissatisfied, you kind of burn it down. If you don't like what you're doing, you burn it down, you walk away, you start something new, you jump to something new. And that's kind of hard, especially for people who have a mortgage and might have, you know, kids in school or might have, you know, their their own um, you know uh, obligations, and that's kind of hard just to take that leap of faith. And I learned that you know if I picture my day each day as kind of a pie chart, and I look at it and I say, okay, well, how much of this pie chart am I spending doing things that I really love? And I just color that in. My goal is going to be. You know, if I have, if I look at an average number of days and see that pie chart in January, my goal is in that in December, you know, the next December, that slice that represents the stuff I love to do, it's a lot bigger. Mm. I don't have to burn anything down. I don't have to walk away from it. I don't have to start from scratch on a new adventure. But I can sculpt and I can transform and I can change and I can make gradual steps to move what I'm doing to the things that I love. And I and at the same time, see if I can delegate or transfer or just move to somebody else those things that I don't love doing. And so I've, I've been through a process of doing that and I identified the fact, for example, that I love public speaking. I just really do. And I also love teaching and I love giving back. So um, a couple years ago, I started teaching, you know, one night a week at a local university here in, uh, in you know, north of Baltimore. Um, I started teaching an introduction to public speaking. Now, those people, you know, 19 and 20 years old, Doug, they're not, I'm not trolling for clients. They're not going to, to hire me, but I love doing it. And the benefit, to be perfectly selfish, is not only that I, I love doing it, which is benefit enough, but I also get to, to work on my craft of public speaking each week as I help them. So I found a way to do that. I've um, looked for opportunities 
and this is really tempting when you're my age, when you've been doing something for 30 years, it's really tempting to just be in knowing mode and not in learning mode anymore. But I've looked for opportunities where I can learn, where I can actively improve the crafts that I love to do, that I want to be able to do as my primary source of income, writing and speaking. And so I've been working on doing that. That's been my pursuit. So let's talk about that for just a minute, that public speaking, because, you know, as all the you know studies show, you know, there's death and then there's public speaking in the order of, of fear for folks, for a lot of people. Now, obviously, as we're communicating here, you know, it's it's in a little different medium. You're not in front of people with eyeballs staring back at you. Mm-hmm. But uh, right. it's not like you communicate just fine to me. So is that something you've always done well in front of a group or did that used to be a fear for you? Um, it was a fear for me, I think, up through high school. And then I'd get nervous, but I realized there was a certain rush or a certain high I would get when I was doing it in college. And then it's part of my stock and trade as a lawyer. But I realized that I liked it. But I, I realized that I needed to get better at it. Now, you see, public speaking is one of those things where 90% of the population is so scared to do it that if you do it and manage not to faint, They'll come up to you and tell you you did a great job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you really want to perfect your craft, you've got to work on it. You've got to understand it's not a speech, it's a performance. You've got to get into the fact that the highest expression of the art is not winging it. The highest expression of the art is really good preparation, moving deliberately, blocking and staging, and knowing your material so well that you're not going to be nervous. You know, too many people, um, when they're faced with something like public speaking, they work on it, but they think, okay, you know, I'll just, I'll just rise to the occasion. That's what I've always done. I'll rise to the occasion. Well, the Army has a saying that you don't rise to the occasion. You fall back on your training. Mm. And so from a public speaking point of view, if you prepare and you know how to prepare, it's like anything else. If you prepare and you know how to prepare, you do it well then you don't have to rise to the occasion. You can fall back on your training, and you'll realize you're not nearly as nervous as you thought you were because you know this stuff cold. That's real powerful, and and, and the reason why I, I wanted to bring that up is, you know, same as you, as a, as a kiddo, I was terrified of getting in front of people. And, you know, if it was three or four, no problem. But if you put, like, six people and me on the other side of it, then all of a sudden it's sort of getting uncomfortable, and anything more than that, it was wheels off. I wasn't doing it. And one day I just was forced with an opportunity to either go in front of a big crowd or not, but I thought it was such an opportunity from the exposure I would get from the, the audience who, who it was. I was like, they're not sending me business now, and if I go in front of them and I bomb, they won't send me business. But it, it was the actual the analogy you were given. Hey, I'll just kind of rise to the occasion. I'll just fake it till I make it. I'll jump up there and, and just wing it. But as you mentioned, you know, you have to, you know, it, it, a lot of people say practice makes perfect, but it, it really is perfect practice makes perfect. And you've got to yeah. to continue to, to uh, increase your skills and your knowledge of the content and then the reaction to the crowd. And, and I've seen that before, too, where if people know you're nervous or you don't love to do it, they will compliment you as like this politically correct, just nicety. And it may stroke you, make right. you feel good. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, when the crowd truly is applauding and they truly are laughing and having a good time and enjoying, you know, your content, 
uh, or taking great detailed notes, you know, if it's a different type of uh, audience there, it, it makes a huge difference. And so that mm-hmm. public speaking, we're always in a performance. And I like the way that you, you know, you, you gave that analogy of, um, you know, it's not a speech, it's a performance. And so I've never heard it really described that way before, but you're right. It's going up there and performing for your audience or your crowd and, uh, and making it happen. So that's, that's great, great information. I, I'm, I'm glad you shared that with us. Yeah, and actually, credit where credit is due, I will tell you, it's really Michael Port from Book Yourself Solid who's, who pointed that out for the first time. It is a performance. But I, I want to get back to one of the things that you had said. You had an opportunity. You could have declined going in front of this audience, or you could have embraced it. You could have stepped up regardless of the butterflies in your stomach and, and your heart pounding and all that stuff. You could go in front of the audience. And, um, and you did that. And I think that's, that's the really cool part of it, you know, to, to really embrace something that, you, that you're scared of. And that's what it takes to, um, to be successful. You know, I'll, I'll give you something, and maybe, maybe your listeners in Dallas can, can appreciate this coming from a Northeastern lawyer. But I got invited one time, a guy left a voicemail uh, for me, asked me if I wanted to go bird hunting with him. I, I'll tell you, Doug, I'd never held a gun in my life. You know, I just, I just had some people grow up with them. I never did. So I heard this voicemail, and I thought to myself, and, and it was, you know, part of it was going to be a tower shoot, and then in the afternoon we were going to go hunting over dogs. And I thought to myself, bird hunting? Man, does he even know who I am? Bird hunting? How the heck would I go bird hunting? We've met. He knows that I'm, you know, I'm lucky I know which end of the gun to, to not look into. <laughs> so I was saying this to myself. And then I started thinking before I called him back, I thought, oh, wait a minute. If my only reason for not going is that I've never done it before, that seems like a pretty stupid reason not to do something. <sighs> so I called him back and I said, uh, Jeff, you know, I, first, thank you for your invitation. I've never been bird hunting. I've never held a gun before. I am. I have an alarming absence of both gross and fine motor skills. It is likely that there is not a safer animal on the planet than one that I have been tasked to shoot. <laughs> but with all of that said, if you would still like to, and if you want to retract the invitation, that's perfectly okay. I take no offense. But with all of that said, if you would still like to extend the invitation, then I'll accept. And he did. And so we, we went hunting. And I'm not going to tell you the moral of the story is that I found myself to be a, a gifted huntsman or somebody who was really good. But I will tell you that I not only enjoyed the experience, but I was so glad that I didn't let I'm scared or I've never done it before uh, serve as my reason for declining. And neither did you. Mm, man, that that is unbelievable information and I'll tell you I always I, I get a little chill there because I, I when I'm talking to all the different ambitious leaders and entrepreneurs we have on the show there's these nuggets of of information that you sometimes take for granted about little obstacles that you overcome or you know whatever the case is but it's easy to take the path of least resistance what you feel comfortable with and it's always difficult yeah. to get outside of our comfort zones but that's what stretches us that's what grows us now it's sometimes painful when you're going through those growing pains but it exposes you to a different environment. And, and I loved what you said about if the only reason why I'm not doing it is because I haven't done it before, I don't have experience with it. I mean, that is everything in the world when you're a kid 
and and you you know condition yourself later on down the road to what you can and can't do based upon either permission or perceived ability or, or whatever the case may be. So great information, and and, and this is our, our last commercial break uh, of the show, and it's hard to believe we're already three-quarters of the way through, but uh, right after this, we'll hear more from Ellie and what he does to recharge his ambitious body, mind, and spirit right here on the Ambitious Radio Network. lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God or what they say? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. This is Kelly Shackelford, president of First Liberty. We're the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. We've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to the local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. Right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and today we've got Elliot Wagenheim. He's a published author, successful entrepreneur. He's an attorney. I mean, this guy just is is really making it happen out there. Again, I'll say, you know, I love the last segment. We started talking a little bit about getting outside of your comfort zone and 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 making things happen and and not turning things down just because we haven't done it before. And you know how that kind of ties into this segment is really, you know, when you do things that you're uncomfortable with, it creates stress. Whenever you are an entrepreneur and you're grinding it out, making it happen, it's not the nine to five that you just clock out. And at five o'clock, it's like, whoop, I'm gone. I don't care what happens. I mean, you're responsible (laughs) no matter what all the time. And I'm sure as an attorney, you've got that relationship with your clients that sometimes they just got to call you in the whenever middle of the night or whatever on the weekends to handle stuff. But let's just talk about the casual relaxing, you know, how do you recharge your ambitious body, mind, and spirit? Do you have favorite movies or you know documentaries or anything that you like to watch? Well, I um, I love to read, and I like to read things that are outside of my my area. You know, they might capture my interest. It could be a World War II documentary. It could be a biography. Um, it could be just on something that uh, like I'm the kind of guy that that. I would tell myself, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go up to bed. And then all of a sudden I see a seven-minute video on um, the secret language of giraffes. And I'm like, huh, giraffes have a language? Okay, I'll watch that. So, you know, sometimes it's just these stupid things I'm, I'm interested in. But the first and foremost, you know, I just um, uh, I love coming home. I love uh, talking with my wife. It sounds kind of trite and Whatever, but but I really do. I mean, she's got a, an interesting worldview. She does. She's a speech language pathologist, so she's her day is nothing like mine. Um, so I like talking to her. And and here's here's the other thing. In addition to family life, this is one of the ways I recharge. I was just talking to somebody about this. Um, a long time ago, I had always made it my business to make sure that I wasn't really eating lunch at my desk. I would go out and I would meet clients or prospective clients or people in the business world. And that was fine. That was fine. But then I had this epiphany. 
and I'll back up a little bit. You know, if you throw a party and you want, like, let's say 30 people to come, and so you send out, I don't know, 80 invitations, RSVP invitations. And so sometimes you get an RSVP back, and you'd be like, oh, cool, she's coming, that's great. But sometimes you get an RSVP back, and you're like, yes, this person is coming. Now, you can't see me, but, but when I do that, it's apparent why I call those people the fist pump people. They're the people that I'm like, yes, I'm really glad they're coming because they're cool people, they're enthusiastic, they're, uh, they've got a passion about them for something, they've got a, an interesting take, they're doing something amazing, they're contributing somehow. They're the people that I want to be around. And so I decided, you know what? I'm not going to worry about whether they're clients or prospective clients or whatever. I'm going to make it my business to expand my network of fist pump people. I don't care if they're married to an attorney. I don't care if they are an attorney. It doesn't matter if they're going to return something commercially to me like this. I want to expand and enrich my life with fist pump people. And so I found when I make a concerted effort to do that, looking through my contact list. When I get together with people and they say to me, you know, they'll throw away, hey, how can I help you? And the standard answer might be, well, if you find a client that might need a lawyer, just let me know. Yeah, forget about that. My answer is, if you know somebody you think is really cool, I don't care if they need a lawyer or not. I don't care, you know, forget about the law stuff. Somebody you think is really cool that's tearing it up, that's the people that you, Doug, described in your intro, the whole reason that you have a podcast, this podcast, you find some of those people. Yeah, if you would do me the privilege of introducing me, I'd love to, to meet them for coffee. And that's how I recharge. I recharge by intentionally associating with fist pump people. Does that make sense? 100%. You know, and I think it's Jim Rohn that said that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, I know you're an attorney, so I'm not saying all attorneys, but typically most attorneys aren't known for being like those um, energetic, outgoing, super, you know, like type of people. They're more a little bit more analytical and, you know, kind of going through the 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 procedures and what have you but but i love what you're saying there because that's that's another way of you doing what jim Rohn's talking about you're trying to strategically align yourself by people that get you pumped up and excited and they are knowledgeable and wise individuals that you can you know either enjoy being around you know just from their fun it may not be you're learning from them but they're fun to be around or they're bringing something interesting to the table that, like you said, the giraffe language. I don't know if you just made that up on the spot or if that's a real thing or not, but it's a good analogy no matter how you look <laughs> no, at it. <laughs> so um, anyway, that's good stuff. So now let's talk about what does an average day look like for you? I mean, what is your rhythm of, of rest and waking up and, you know, do you eat breakfast? And what does that look like for you? I, you know, I typically get up at, uh, at 5.30, come into the office. I, have, I just have a shake for breakfast. It's a meal replacement shake because – Otherwise, I'd go deep into the bacon and eggs thing, and I don't need to be going deep into the bacon and eggs thing. So I have a, a shake. But one of the things I do beforehand, and this is what I started doing about um, eight months ago, is I decided I wanted to take control of my morning routine. Just the first hour, I get into the office at least an hour before anybody else in my office gets here. And there are two things that I make sure that I do. Um, one is I read for at least 20 minutes, not a brief, not emails. I don't touch my emails. 
but I read something, uh, just continuing education, the latest business book doesn't have to be a business book. It could be something else. It's not binge watching, you know, artists new black, but, but it has to be something that kind of expands my mind, expands my learning. So that's, um, at least 20 minutes. The other thing I do, um, that I, I started to do was meditate. And when I say that, I, I still have to, I'll admit to you, I cringe a little bit when I say it because, you know, I, in my mind, I always associate people who meditate with people who also have, you know, a burning desire to sell you healing crystals and stuff like that. And they have the, you know, the bells and the chimes and the beaded curtains and all that stuff. But I found that that's not true. That's just my stereotyping of it. But but meditation, the way that that uh, I started to learn to do it, really gives me a moment to relax, to kind of open my mind to think about things, to be more mindful. And so it's helped me as I go throughout my day when I find, particularly in law, if I'm reacting, if I'm irritated by something or if I'm angry, just to to be more mindful of whether I'm feeling something reacting logically or whether I'm feeling something emotionally and how I'm going about it. So I've, I've injected that into my morning routine. I, I have meditation. I have continuing education. I have my shake for, for breakfast. So it's healthy for me. And then, and then I can start all my emails and, and the bulk of my day. Uh, but it's the morning that I really felt I had to capture. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, I interviewed uh, John Lee Dumas a couple of weeks back, and one of the things that oh, he, wow. yeah, one of the things he talked about was OPA, you know, other people's agenda. And he says how in the mornings, much as yours, he's like, hey, I get up, I don't look at my email, I don't, I don't worry or think about anything else, and I get up and I do my morning routine. And, and interestingly enough, meditation was one of his things. Um, I don't remember if he said reading or not, but he did say like a, like an exercise and, uh, getting, you know, mm-hmm. getting a meal inside. And then, and I think the timing was something like nine thirty or 10 o'clock before he ever started doing anything that was somebody else's agenda. Cause he said all the emails, the text messages, the voicemails, whatever, all that is somebody else's agenda wanting you to do something. And he goes, I want to get up every morning and yeah. have my game plan put together. And I haven't uh, been able to to quite uh, kick the habit of you know pulling out the phone when I first get up. Okay, what's all here? What else my day look like? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but I, I I think that that's a great thing that that you're doing, and and uh, you know it helps to. It sounds like it helps to just give you kind of a peace and a, a an organized platform to start your day with every morning in a with your mind right. Well, it does, and look, you know, you don't have to to beat yourself up and say, well, geez, I looked at my phone again when I get up. Because, look, I do. When I get up and, and I get dressed before I get in the car, I'll look at my email, I'll see what's there and, and all that stuff. So I'm not telling you that I have it down to a science, but I am saying that I've at least carved it out. I'll, I'll, when I drive into the office and I walk in, I, I decided, okay, I'm not going to turn on my computer. I'm not going to look at emails now because this hour is for my agenda, to borrow from, from John Lee Dunes. This hour is for my agenda, and that's where I make sure I, I take care of the nutrition and I make sure that I, I meditate and then I have my continuing education, and then I'll turn it on. But if, if you look first thing in the morning, it's not a big deal. It's just that I think he's right. I think you have to carve out, make an appointment for yourself to set yourself as a priority. And too many entrepreneurs just don't do that. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's that's great information. Well, as we're kind of starting to, to wrap up the show, uh, if someone wanted to engage with you, if they wanted to potentially um, have you, you know, as an attorney or those types of things, what what's the best way? Are you social? Are you on the internet? How's the best way to communicate with you? I am. Um, oh, Twitter is easy. It's at Wagenheim. W a g o m h e i m or at um, my email, or it's wagonheim.com. So the URL is www.wagonheim.com. And um, all of my email, by hell, even my cell phone, you know, so <laughs> texting, but, but email, Facebook, uh, Twitter, it's all on wagonheim.com, and Twitter is, is at wagonheim, and Facebook is, is uh, Elliot Wagonheim. I don't have any fancy pseudonyms, so... Well, you know what? You, yeah, you've got an interesting enough name where yours can be simple. If I try to get like Doug Parker, I got to put yeah. like a bunch of numbers and letters and all kinds of stuff around it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Just to make it where to work. Well, I, you know, sir, I truly appreciate you know, you spending or investing the time, you know, in our audience. I know that a lot of people will gather, you know, great information from the stories that you shared with us and how you're uh, ambitiously going after life. And, and I've learned a bunch of stuff. I was uh, voraciously writing down a, b- a bunch of notes and just trying to, you know, get it all uh, down for the show notes as we always put a page together. And so guys as you're and gals, as you're listening, uh, you can always go to ambitiousradio.com and uh, go, you know, go, go to uh, Elliot's page there and all the show notes, the books mentioned and all that will be on there. So thanks for your time today, sir. Hey, thank you, Doug. It's been a great conversation and your audience is so well served by everything you do. It's been an honor to be with you. Thank you very much. Well, we also want to thank our sponsors because we could not do it without you. And as always, tune in on Saturdays to Ambitious Radio where we interview thought leaders and exciting entrepreneurs changing the faces of their organizations. Remember, you can make money or you can make excuses, but you cannot make both. So go out there and be ambitious. Thank you for listening to the Ambitious Radio Network, hosted by serial entrepreneur Doug Parker. Join us weekly as we have engaging conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders on topics that can be applied immediately after listening. Like what you've heard? Listen to other interviews at ambitiousradio.com or subscribe on iTunes.